Zero G and I feel fine. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. What's it feel like to feel weightless, like the astronauts on the International Space Station? Well, two brothers got the chance to experience microgravity on a zero-g flight, and they took me with them. We'll hear about their experience and how one STEM outreach organization is working to get more kids to experience these moments with the goal of inspiring them to continue pursuing science and engineering in school. Then, it's not all fun aboard these flights. Some crucial science happens in microgravity. We'll hear from one scientist who leverages zero-g for her experiments. Floating in the most peculiar way, the science and inspiration of microgravity. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on 90.7 WMFE News. Brian Bartello is a sixth grader from Buffalo, New York. He entered an essay contest to win a trip on a zero-g flight, an airplane that simulates weightlessness using parabolic arcs, flying in steep climbs and dives to mimic the experience of microgravity. The contest was sponsored by Space Kids Global, an outreach organization aimed at bringing kids closer to space exploration. Founders Sharon and Mark Hagel are no strangers to space. They recently flew a suborbital flight on Blue Origin's New Shepard rocket. I spoke with them and their dog Saba about the goal of the contest. Well, our partnership with Zero Gravity has given these kids an opportunity to fly like an astronaut. And the more we can do this, more kids will have that opportunity because we're bringing the possibility of space to kids. Mm-hmm. What we've learned in encouraging young kids to do things and change their, their thought process on how they want to approach the future, key word, get them to participate. Mm-hmm. This is just one of those steps. Mm-hmm. What stood out for you in, in the essay uh, for this, this winter here? Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first of all, he almost didn't win because we were reading his essay, and this is an 11-year-old child living in New York, and it was in conclusion. And I, the judges and I were laughing, saying, what child speaks like that? But then when we met him, oh my gosh, this child is brilliant. He's 11 years old, he's taking college classes, he's homeschooled, And in his spare time, he teaches English to kids and adults who come into the country. Mm -hmm. You have to pinch yourself to make sure he's real. He's an amazing individual. He really is. Mm -hmm. Have you met other individuals like him through Space Kids Global? I mean, how many kids are out there that are just itching for this opportunity? Oh, my gosh. The competition was extremely successful. There were a lot of people that applied for for exactly what was won here. in, in the, the depth and the breadth of the program that Space Kids is doing is starting to expand dramatically because of the, uh, uh, us flying to space and the five minutes of fame that we'll get out of that. Uh, so we're taking advantage of it with a charity and trying to expand it as best we can across the country. And, and now it's starting to go international. I have the chance to fly with, with the family. You both have experience in this. Uh, what should I expect and what do I need to know going into this? To me... The most amazing gravity profile was that on the moon. They're going to simulate the gravity on Mars, on the moon, and, and, and then zero gravity. Zero gravity is a hoot. You're going to be floating in space. You're going to be able to do somersaults. You're going to experience things you've never seen. When you touch the wall of the ship, you'll just drift across because there's no real resistance holding you in place. 
but the moon gravity profile is just so different because it's you know about it intellectually, but when you take a step and all of a sudden you're 10 feet away, it's gonna it's gonna blow your mind. Mm-hmm. Sharon, don't forget to do the somersaults. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and Saba, as a as a bystander, what's what what should I be worried about here? I think it's important for space kids uh, that now that we have the kids' attention, we need to keep them engaged. So we're looking for corporations that have like-minded activities um, and also, you know, funding to send these kids to to school, to the the space camp. Uh, We're working with a Canadian company that's doing robotic kits and coding kits and um, ham radios. But we need help now. There's 3.5 million vacancies projected by 2025 in the steam fields. Let's get these kids excited and make learning fun again. Mm-hmm. That was, I, that's a good point. Like, what what um, what gaps are there that that need to be filled that, that you all are hoping to fill? There's the education. There's getting them excited. What what other resources do you need? Kids think there's only one job in the space industry, and that's an astronaut. And what reality is that when we send these kids off planet to the moon and Mars, we need everyone, firemen, builders, chefs, policemen, scientists. So space is for everyone. Brian won the contest and invited his younger brother, Sean, and dad, Jay, to join him. I also got the chance to fly. I spoke with him before the flight. So this is, first of all, this is just a once in a lifetime opportunity. And since I want to work in aerospace as a businessman, I just want to know what the people will be working with, the uh, the astronauts. I want to know what they're experiencing so I can think of better solutions and compromises. And Sean, what about you? Why are you excited to go on this flight? Well, I'm excited to see what the people I'm going to be working with when I'm older is going to be feeling. Mm-hmm. You wrote in your essay, you titled it, To Boldly Go. Can you explain why, why you titled your essay that? Yeah, so it takes it takes a lot of courage to go on a flight like that, and only, it's like the astronauts that go into zero G, they have to trust the aerospace engineers below that built the rocket, they have to trust that they did, they did all their math calculations, right? And they have to trust that they know that even if they did one little bit wrong, the whole thing could go south. And they have to trust each other and the engineers. Mm-hmm. And do, do we trust them today? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, good. I hope so. <laughs> Sean, what was your essay about? Tell me a bit about what you wrote about. Hmm. Well, I, I'm just so excited to go up into the zero-G. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. I feel like this is, go, this is a life, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Mm-hmm. What are you guys expecting? Do you, do you have any idea what it's going to feel? This is my first flight, too. I don't too, really so. have any idea. Yeah. I don't have you thought about it no. at all? Absolutely. Well, yeah. Yes, we, we can't Ever stop. since we won. Ever since we, we, we got to go on the Zero-G, I can't stop thinking about it. Just something, the biggest part of my mind I have to think about. What do you hope to do? What's the first thing you're going to do in, in microgravity? I don't know, but I have a pen. Like, it's a pen, but it has, like, water inside of it, and, and it has objects in the water. I want to see what happens to the water inside of the pen. Like, it's not a normal pen. It's got some water in it. Uh-huh. Sean, what about you? I'm pretty sure I'm I'm pretty sure we're both doing something with the pen and I'm doing something similar with the pen, but yeah. I'm just going to try to keep my breakfast down. I think that's yeah. going to be my main priority yeah. up there. <laughs> so, tell me a bit about school. Do you get opportunities to kind of yeah, do science and math and, and stuff yes, that goes into Yes, we do a lot. Yes. We are homeschooled. We 
Our mom is our teacher, and she's she's a great teacher. We basically get to go on whatever pace we want to. In case if whatever we can fo deep dive on topics we're interested we in. Whatever we want to do, we can focus on that, and if we want to do a little less on something, we can do more on something else. And why are you so interested in, in, in space and aerospace? There's all sorts of different science topics just, out there. Why space? It just came to us. I, I it's just like natural. Yeah. It just... We, we noticed that that was a, a something that we just loved, so we just d did it, we just went for it. And with how much you know about aerospace and, and zero-G and you've been thinking about it, what advice do you have for me for when we get up there? Don't, Keep the food down. Don't jump. <laughs> don't jump. Keep the food down. Do not jump. Okay. Yes, definitely don't jump. Okay, cool. Don't fling yourself too far. Cool. Well, I'll see you guys Your up head there. Like All right, I'll see you up there. <laughs> The company Zero-G organized the flight, which took off from the shuttle landing facility at Kennedy Space Center. After takeoff, we assumed our positions in the empty padded fuselage. The pilot dipped the plane's nose down. We were weightless. That giggle is me, flipping and floating around. During our 15 parabolas, I kept my eye on Brian and Sean. They were naturals. It was an indescribable experience. We were still smiling on the ground after our flight. Oh, that was amazing. I could feel like the ups and downs. Uh -huh. And you could, I noticed like the zero gravity was amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much to uh, Sharon Hagel and Allison Odyssey for making this possible. Sean. What, what did you think of it? Tell me a bit about it. Well, it was amazing. All of it, I especially really liked the moon gravity. The zero G's, the zero G ones, I was surprised in what it felt like. Brian, what was what was the most interesting thing or something that you weren't prepared for during this flight? I was flight? definitely the most prepared for the Martian gravity, which was great. The moon gravity was my favorite, but... It was the Martian gravity was of the least shock, as you might guess. And personally, when I I got to the Mar when we got to the Mars gravity, I was like, "Oh, is this a flight?" And then no. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Sean? Were, did you think you were prepared for what you were going to feel? Um, I was it. I what what was happening? I expected the feeling of what was happening. I definitely did not expect. I was expecting me not to not my mind to hate this. I was expecting it to just not feel anything, like I'm not on ground, I thought I could just float around. I didn't know that everything else would make my mind not like this. D did your mind hate it? Yeah. <laughs> I liked it, my mind didn't. Me too. I felt the same way. A little bit disorienting, like after about five seconds, you're guaranteed to not be up upright. Like I literally had to spend like 20 seconds just to be able to stand upright in zero G. Brian, in your essay you wrote that, that you wanted this experience so that you could learn what this feels like for people that may be going to space so you could build things for them. Do you think you have a better sense of, of what that experience is actually like? Oh, absolutely. And I, that'll also help me when I'm like asking about contracts. I'll know like what experiments might be good or bad and then just plenty of other things. Like there's a wide variety of things that the astronauts will have, but this is the clo pretty much the closest I can get to this without without leaving Earth. Sean, do you think you'll still want to go to space when you get older after experience like that? 
I don't think I want to go up to space. I want to be more the people that yeah. build the rocks and make them work. Our, our, both of our situations remain the same, which is we, we I mean, we, we love the zero-G, but we just don't, we're just not the spacey type. We want to help people that love going to space go to space. Both of you are very well knowledgeable about space exploration and the technology and physics and all that. Did this kind of help solidify some of the things that you've been learning in school a little bit better, like Newton's laws, right? Oh, absolutely, yes. This is, this is very true. I noticed that when I'd push against the walls, like, I'd fall backwards and, like, I'd notice that sometimes I'd, like, I'd pull on, like, Sean because I was flying so fast I needed an anchor. And then as I, as I grabbed onto Sean to stop, I could notice, like, Sean started flying in the direction I... I One of I, the times I, when the first zero-G happened, I was, I almost, I floated across... I floated almost directly across the plane, and I needed one of the people to help me get back to it. Just I saw you go flying past yeah. me. I, I tried to grab you, but I couldn't get to you. Yeah, I, I had no clue what I was doing. I was just flinging fire. What would you like to share with some of the other students that, that entered this contest and, and were hoping to experience this? How would you describe it to them, um, and, and how, would you, how would you tell them about your experience? Well, this was this was great. I think definitely try again next year because any chance that you can to experience one of these, take it. It's amazing. Sean, what would you say to, to you? What are you going to tell your friends when you get back about this experience? It's awesome. It's what it's it's awesome. No matter what, it's it's a great experience. It's worth it. It's one of the best experience I've had in my life. Jay, as you know, the, there's homeschool students. Um, what is an experience like this that you can take back to them and, and help in the in the classroom after doing something like this? <laughs> well, they're, they're both homeschooled, so you know, their mom certainly teaches them everything they need to know about uh, all their classes and education. But um, you know, there's only so much you can learn from a book, and you know, being able to experience this real life, um, it's you know, it really gives them a, a good anchor in, in being able to confirm that they want to do some of the things they like doing. They like this aerospace. They like rockets. They like space. Um, I think being able to experience this, you know, like Brian was saying, it, it you know gives him an idea of what some of his peers are going to be able to experience. Mm -hmm. Project-based learning um, has been beneficial to them because they can chase their dreams. They're not reined in. People like Artemis Westenberg, Janet Ivey, they've really helped them. Um, Sharon Hagel, Allison Odyssey with Zero G, it makes what they read about come to life. And how better to figure out what you want to do with your life than actually do it. Do you think they're going to convince you to go on the next trip now? Yeah, probably. <laughs> and are you going to go? Maybe. Yeah, I might. They seem to have had a great time, so I trust their uh, I trust their judgment. <laughs> that was Brian, Sean, Jay, and Diane Ward Bartello. Special thanks to Zero G and Space Kids Global for letting me tag along. Check out our website for some photos from the flight. That's at wmfe.org/are we there yet? Still to come, microgravity isn't just for fun. How scientists use flights like Zero-G to conduct experiments. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on 90.7 WMFE News.
You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on 90.7 WMFE News. I'm Brendan Byrne. While Brian, Sean, and I had fun on our zero-G flight, it's not all about goofing around. Scientists leverage platforms like these flights to conduct experiments. And one of those scientists is University of Central Florida planetary scientist Addie Dove. She joins us to talk about the research in microgravity. Addie, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again. So uh, what an incredible experience. Uh, Before we started taping this, we were kind of reminiscing about it. But you've done how many flights at this point? I have done 11 flights over about six flight campaigns. Yeah. That's absolutely wild. Is it is it still as disorienting each time that you do it or have you gotten better at it? it? So it depends if it's been a long time in between. It's just as disorienting for the first few parabolas. Um, there's a few of the, a few of the flights I've done. I've done several flights in a week and then by like the second and even, and by, definitely by like the third flight, it's, it's like old hat. Your body is super used to it sort of right away. Um, but when it's been like, it's been a few years since I've gone. And the last time I went, it had been, I think what this is, um, and it, yeah, it's you have to get used to it again every time. <laughs> Let, let's talk a bit about because, you know, we heard about the experience early and earlier in the show. Let's let's talk a bit about the science behind this. Um, what is actually making this making this work? What why was I floating and, and Brian and Sean floating the way that we were when, when we went up on our trip? Yeah, I will say one thing. I'm a little bit jealous because like on our flights, so I always do research flights and we only ever have a little bit of time to sort of uh, hang out and we can never like do the Superman thing because there's experiments filling up the plane. So you mm-hmm. can never just float around. It's always really crowded. Um, so I'm always jealous when I watch the videos of like people who go and just get to like Superman through the plane. And <laughs> um, But the reason you can do that uh, is because... Um, of sort of where you are in the plane and how, what the plane is doing in its trajectory, right? So the plane uh, is colloquially, maybe we won't use the colloquial name, right? Because it's not as fun, but it's a parabolic flight. Um, and that's described as such because it's doing parabolas in the sky. So that means it's going up, it's sort of going on the top of an arc and then coming back down. It's the same thing as like if you throw a ball up in the air, right? It goes up, it stops, and then it comes back down. Um, So when the plane is doing that parabola, it goes up and it sort of tips over and then it comes back down. And when it's on that top part of the arc, of the arch, it um, is basically going to be in free fall where the plane is going over and tipping down. And you um, are not experiencing any forces on you with respect to um, the plane. So like gravity is still acting on you. Gravity is still acting on the plane. But because the plane is sort of falling away from you, you seem to float up in the plane. Mm hmm. And would this be the same experience that somebody on the International Space Station would feel? Is this the same microgravity environment that they are in? It is. Well, it's very similar. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's the same effect, right? It's just in a much shorter time frame. So instead of the plane sort of doing a parabola and coming back down right away, the ISS is constantly falling around the Earth is the way to describe it. So an orbit is just the ISS constantly falling around the Earth. It's just going at the speed so that it falls and it never actually hits the Earth. Fascinating. That's uh, that's pretty scary to think about. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird to think about. And like when we do experiments and when you're on the plane, it's easy to think that like you're floating up. Right. Or that like you're going toward the ceiling. But in reality, the ceiling's coming toward you and the plane is dropping away from you. Right. It's a weird 
like it's it's we call it a reference frame, right? And it's it's hard to think about that sometimes until you're sort of experiencing it. I'm glad and I, even then you're like, oh yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah, I'm glad I had this conversation after the fact because if I just kept thinking about that <laughs> while I was on the trip, that would be <laughs> absolutely terrifying. So I wouldn't have been able to enjoy myself. Oh God, the plane's flying away from me. <laughs> so, so as we mentioned at the start of the conversation, you you've flown on multiple flights, mul- hundreds of of arcs, uh, doing research. Um, tell me a bit about what the benefit is to doing research on these flights. Why do you use it in your experiments? Yeah, it's not just for fun, although that is a side effect. (laughs) Um, So a lot of the experiments we do, so I do experiments that are looking at the interaction of a lot of times dust or regolith, um, dirt, right, and impacts or shaking it up, ways to move this, this small particles around basically, right? And I'm trying to do that to understand things like surfaces of asteroids, the surface of the moon, or even planet formation, where you have small things coming together and hitting and sticking. But the problem with all of those environments versus the Earth is gravity. So when we try to do any of these experiments just in the lab on Earth, gravity pulls everything down, and a lot of the effects we're trying to see get sort of um, muted because you can't see like if it's like when you try to throw something up against gravity, it's a lot harder than if you were just like in uh, a low gravity environment, things go a lot farther, right? So to understand these really small forces and um, the effects that might happen on low gravity surfaces, you have to be in a reduced gravity environment. Um, And I am using air quotes for reduced gravity because again, it's a relative frame. We're not actually getting rid of gravity. We're still on earth. but it's relative to each other. You can see these these tiny forces at play um, where you can't see them if you're doing them in the lab on the ground. Mm-hmm. And and that's important because I mean a lot of the stuff that 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 you're looking at is planetary formation and things like that where there would be a, a little to no gravity environment when this happens, right? That's mm-hmm. that's what you're simulating, right? How yeah. you know, these certain things come together, right? Yeah. So when we're looking at how particles cling to each other for planet formation, for instance, those things are all orbiting around the sun, or you can think of like Saturn's rings, right? All orbiting around together. And they're all orbiting and they're feeling Saturn's gravity, but like relatively they're in this really low gravity environment. And so the thing that dominates then is what's happening when they hit and stick. And we want to understand that. And if you try to hit two things together, they might just fall to the ground as opposed to like sticking together and floating, which is what would happen in the real, the the space environment. Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit about designing those experiments. Um, I've had the chance to kind of see some of the hardware that you use. I find it so fascinating uh, how you build these things, but, but tell our listeners how you go about designing one of these experiments and and then bringing it onto a zero G flight. Sure. Yeah. So our experiments generally are, we have multiple containers, basically multiple experiments that we can do because we want to do an experiment as many parabolas as we can, right? So on the research flight, so on your flight, there were probably what, 15 parabolas? Yes, 15. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So on the research flights, they do usually around 30 when you fly with zero G. Um, Back when we flew with the NASA plane, um, it was sometimes 40 or more. and that sounds uh, sickening you want to <laughs> my uh the most i've ever done in one flight was 60 oh the boy most I've ever done in one in one day was 100 because we did two flights in a day uh-huh. it was a 60 and a 40 have you kept everything <laughs> down you kept everything down yep all right good for yeah. you <laughs> the second one was super easy because by, like like we were talking about right yeah. you sort of get accustomed to it and so yeah. the second one in the day was like yeah i got this yeah. this is what i'm doing now sorry i derailed um, the conversation so yeah. no you're fine yeah <laughs> um so, 
so we build these experiments and typically some of them now I'm we're able to reset, but typically it's sort of a one-off experiment. So you have to have multiple sort of chambers, multiple boxes that can do a thing in every few parabolas, basically. Um, and you have to design an experiment that operates in about 20 seconds because you have to sort of get into the parabola, trigger it, and then watch the experiment happen, and then the parabola is over. Um, so it's a lot of sort of working on timing, working on mechanisms that all of our experiments contain dust and regolith, right? So you have to contain that before you do the experiment and then a way to like open a door, for instance, um, in order to impact into that regolith. Um, so there's a lot of designing mechanisms to keep things contained when you don't want the experiment to happen and then activate them when you do. And for the most part, a lot of those need to be um, battery controlled or um, sometimes completely standalone because sometimes in the plane we free float them so you sort of release the box in the plane um, and then it has to have a camera and batteries and all of that so it can be a standalone experiment mm -hmm. so a lot goes into that huh <laughs> yeah it's a lot of so it's a lot of automation but it's all when you're on the plane you can sort of decide when it starts right so there's like triggering that has to happen but you can decide when that starts you can decide if the parabola is sort of the quality you want because there's a little bit of variety in that um and so uh but there's a lot of sort of automation and figuring out different ways to activate different mechanisms that are going to work and considering things like you can't just drop a marble. So some of our experiments are impact experiments. You can't just drop a marble when you're in microgravity. It won't drop. It'll just stay in the container. So you could like open a flap and on the ground that would drop out at some speed. But on the plane, it's just going to stay in its container because there's because the forces aren't pulling it down. Um, so you have to use springs, for instance, to launch it. Um, and so things like that that we have to consider and what the relative forces are, are designing these experiments and building these experiments. So it's a really cool uh, way to sort of think about basic physics and then the sort of advanced planetary science and engineering all in one. When, when we first met, this is years ago when I first started um, reporting on the Space Beat, we were in your lab and you were using drop towers, which got you, you know, fractions of a second of microgravity. You move up to zero G and you get 20 seconds. Um, but there's there's more, right? You you you've been leveraging new technology to get more microgravity. Tell me a bit about these suborbital flights that you've been using. Yeah, we we find any any way we can get microgravity and try to put something in it. <laughs> um, yeah, so drop tower we get in the lab. Our drop tower we get about three quarters of a second. There are some drop towers in the world that get up to like nine seconds. Um, but then the next step up is suborbital flights. So this is like Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic right now. Um, and those you get around three, a few minutes, so three-ish minutes of microgravity. And that's because their parabola is just bigger, basically. Mm -hmm. So the suborbital flights, they go up, they turn off the engines, coasts up, and then falls back down. And in that time, you have that same microgravity environment. And it's actually a really nice, clean, really clean microgravity environment. Um, mm -hmm. And... Um, so that enables you to do experiments that take longer, right, than, than 20 or 30 seconds. Um, which if you're doing single impact experiments, you maybe we can get away with a lot of them on the parabolas, but some of the things we're trying to look at are smaller effects or a little bit longer term evolution. And then you want even a, a minute or two um, is a great, is, is needed to sort of get the science you're trying to get. And most of our data, a lot of our data is video data. So we get to see what's happening and sort of a more extended um, viewing period. That was UCF planetary scientist, Addie Dove. 
That's going to do it for this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed. Get on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, or visit wmfe.org slash yet? Are We There Yet is a production of 90.7 WMFE News. Editorial guidance this week from Nicole Darden-Creston. More of our space coverage is available on our website, wmfe.org. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. And until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.